This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act was signed into law in 2010 by President Obama as a response to the recession and the activities that banks had taken that led our economy down that dark alley. But the plan, which many banks have said handcuffed them in many ways, may be in for some significant changes in the next couple of years during the Trump administration. In fact, Trump's secretary, Treasury Secretary-designate Steve Mnuchin told CNBC that he would like to see many parts of the plan repealed and tweaked. To discuss the future of Dodd-Frank, we're joined by David Zaring, Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics at the Wharton School, and also by Michael Barr, Professor at the University of Michigan Law School, former Assistant Secretary for Financial Institutions at the Treasury Department, and was one of the architects of Dodd-Frank. Michael, David, great to have you both with us. Happy to be here. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. Michael, I just wanted to start with you, and and obviously the comments made uh, by Mr. Mnuchin uh, earlier today, I don't know if you'd had the opportunity to hear him speak about it, but obviously it's it's kind of starting to play out about what the Trump administration would like to try and do to Dodd-Frank going forward. Yeah, I, I'm really worried about a Trump presidency. I, I think that it could mean the wholesale dismantling of really every step taken since the financial crisis to make the financial system safer and and fairer. And I think it could mean that all of us, every American, is exposed to greater risks from another financial crisis and also to abuses from really financial charlatans in the market. How do you think Dodd-Frank has performed overall? I think it's uh, done a good job in making the system safer and fairer since the financial crisis. There's more capital in the system. The largest financial institutions are better regulated. Uh, There's more attention to the shadow banking system. And we have a new strong Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that's been uh, policing the markets, as you saw in the Wells Fargo case. So I, I think we've come a long way, and the last thing we need is, you know, to roll back that progress. I, I think a lot of people would, would, would say that, obviously, there are pieces to the Dodd-Frank that have done a, a, an excellent job over the course of it. But that being said, and, and you bring up the example of Wells Fargo, we're still, you know, this many years out, and we're still having banks doing things like Wells Fargo. And a lot of consumers out there would be like, how is this still happening this many years out. What do, you, what do you respond to them about? Well, I think they're absolutely right to be outraged. I think that what Wells Fargo did in taking advantage of their customers um, was uh, deeply deceptive, deeply wrong, deeply harmful, and it undermines trust in the financial system. And that's why you saw the CFPB, the consumer agency, imposed heavy fines on them. And, uh, you know, I think that they haven't really learned their lesson yet. You see Wells Fargo in court trying to argue that uh, people shouldn't have their day in court. They should have to go to this forced arbitration process. Right. And I think that's just another outrage. Um, and, uh, and I think that's exactly why we need a strong Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And we don't need Congress coming in and, and attempting to block the CFPB from... Uh, from getting rid of arbitration uh, uh, provisions that are harmful, which is uh, one of the things it's been working on now. Uh, We don't need the Congress to come in and and hamstring the CFPB and and, uh, subject it to congressional pressure. 
I, I think that you know what the Trump administration and Republicans in Congress want to do is going exactly in the wrong direction for the country. David? Yeah, I um, share my worries and am uh, uh, going to be watching closely to see what exactly the new Treasury Secretary and administration try to do with Dodd-Frank. Um, there are some reasons to think that um, that the statute could end up surviving more than we might think in an administration, though that administration has vowed to roll back a lot of what was, in my view, good about it. But um, it's enmeshed the United States in a, in a bunch of international relationships, which are maybe hard to untangle and that may keep American banking regulators attentive to the capital needs of their banks to meet their foreign obligations. And it also, um, you know, the Republican platform called for a repeal of Glass-Steagall, the, yep. um, the statute that uh, separates uh, investment banking services from um, commercial and deposit-taking banking services. And uh, I guess um, I'm going to be interested to know how uh, the um, new administration thinks about uh, that regulatory uh, relatively invasive regulatory approach uh, when it talks about deregulating the financial industry more generally. Uh, but when you were on with us uh, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, uh, during, when it was the fifth anniversary uh, of Dodd-Frank. And I, I'd be interested to know, uh, at that point, you were talking about you would like to see, I guess, like a version two uh, of Dodd-Frank. Again, what were some of the things you would like to see happen playing off of what Dodd-Frank started? Um, well, uh, there are always good ways to tweak, um, uh, statutes, even statutes that I think have made the financial system safer. Um, I could see, uh, a version of Dodd-Frank that, um, uh, sort of changed the structure of the Financial Stability Oversight Council. That's the group of, um, regulators who look out for systemically risky financial institutions and take a broader view about how financial regulation is working. Um, and it's chaired by the Treasury Secretary. I'm not sure that um, uh, having a, a political uh, appointee like that uh, with such a powerful role on the council is such a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see there being room for the inclusion of some more sort of divergent and disparate voices in the council. Currently, um, it's a bunch of financial regulators, but the all financial regulators are all appointed by the current president. Um, and uh, maybe there could be some room for some, you know, diversity of views in the council. There, there's a couple of things that could be tweaked that I think might make the statute work a little better, at least with regard to that one particular sort of oversight question. Michael, are there things that, that you've looked at o- over the course of the, the last five years where you would even say that maybe there are some things that need to be tweaked? Sure. There are always things that um, that could be improved. No legislation is perfect. I'd be the the first person to point out um, uh, problems with any particular aspect of the Dodd-Frank Act. Uh, But I'm worried that um, under the cover of of tweaks, uh, the legislation of the type that has been proposed already by Republicans in Congress is going in the opposite direction. So instead of tweaking the law to make it stronger, um, whether along the lines that David suggested or in other ways, there are efforts to actually hamstring the very agencies we've been talking about, you know, efforts to take away from the Financial Stability Oversight Council the ability to get um, shadow banking firms uh, under Federal Reserve supervision, 
is on the, the top list for um, for Republicans in Congress, and that's just going to make it you know possible for the next Lehman Brothers and AIG to come up outside the regulatory system and blow up the financial system. So I I think we're we're moving in the wrong direction. There's always uh, there are always tweaks that can be made to laws or right. improvements that can be made. But the last thing we need is to roll back and hamstring the very agencies uh, that were set up in the wake of the financial crisis. Well, it looks I, like... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mark, or David. No, I was going to say I, 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 I agree with that. Um, so three of the most prominent things that are being proposed is to... Um, Revoke the Volcker Rule, yeah. which prevents investment banking from trading on their own account. Um, uh, reducing the ability of the um, FSOC to oversee non-banks, um, and uh, Michael just talked about that. And um, an effort to sort of change the independence of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And that um, all three of those, you know, priorities seem like priorities that go in the wrong direction. Well, I wanted to ask you, Michael, about the the Volcker Rule, because that seemingly is one of the areas that uh, Mr. Mnuchin uh, talked about earlier today that that he really f- uh, thinks needs a, a, a redo. Uh, when you hear when you hear that, your, your reaction, I have a feeling I know what your reaction is, but I'll let you kind of play it out in your own terms. Well, look, I, I think, again, any any particular provision, you could say, oh, a tweak here, a fix there. Um, can always be improved. No, no law is perfect. No rulemaking is perfect. Right. But the overall thrust of what they want to do is exactly wrong. It's exactly backwards. The overall thrust of what they're trying to do with the Volcker Rule, with stress testing, with capital rules, with the FSOC, with the consumer agency, the Republicans in Congress, and this is going to be the starting point for anything that the Trump administration does, They've been about attacking financial reform. They're about rolling it back. They're about reigniting the risks in the market that were present uh, before 2007 and 8 in our financial crisis. And I, I just think it's inexcusable. Uh, I think that, you know, reasonable people can disagree about this or that particular provision. Yeah. But the overall effort to roll back reform, to gut the vocal rule, to block the FSOC, to remove stress testing from many firms, to, to unregulate shadow banking, to free up the derivatives markets, to hamstring the CFPB, it is impossible to look at their agenda without seeing clearly that what they're trying to do is roll back financial reform and, and cause enormous harm to American consumers. Well, your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number, or send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We're speaking with Michael Barr at the University of Michigan, who was also one of the architects of Dodd-Frank, David Zaring from the Wharton School. Again, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. And then, Michael, I'd be also interested then, off of the fact that uh, that uh, that this pattern seems to be going forward uh, from the Trump administration, what is your reaction to to having Steve Mnuchin as the potential Treasury Secretary of the United States with his background uh, with Goldman Sachs? Well, I don't know anything about his substantive policy views, so it's very hard for me uh, to know how he'll do as Treasury Secretary. Okay, uh, you know, I- I'm hopeful that. Um, you know, that he will see that the steps that I've described um, and that the, 
the Congress has been taking up, on the Republicans in Congress have been taking up, are wrongheaded. Um, I'm hopeful for that, but I have no basis and experience for knowing what his views are going to be. Okay. And I'm obviously extremely concerned because uh, both the House and Senate Republicans have put forward plans to significantly weaken financial reform. And there's nothing that, um, that President-elect Trump has said that makes me think he's going to um, uh, differ from them. But seemingly, David, the, the opportunity to, to make these shifts is there because of the way that, the, that the, uh, the, the structure of the government is going to be set up for the next at least two years with the fact that you have uh, Donald Trump in office and obviously you have the, the Republican-controlled Congress as well. So, I mean, the door is wide open to make these changes right now. That's right. I mean, if uh, the um, uh, Trump administration and the Republicans uh, agree that they want to do something, they'll have an excellent chance of doing it. Um, uh, there are some fissures and some, you know, um, I guess, uh, uh, potential trap doors that um, any uh, repealer may run into if they really want to gut um, what uh, Dodd-Frank has been all about. And one of them is that um, I think community bankers um, who uh, tend to support um, some sort of uh, relook at what is happening in Dodd-Frank are suspicious that um, uh, reforms that are designed to help the largest Wall Street banks will be reforms that will not be in their interest as well. Right. And so that may be a constituency that would support um, keeping some aspects of the legislation together or a constituency that could break against a wholesale repeal effort. And then secondly, the filibuster does exist. The Republicans have a slim majority. And in the wake of the financial crisis, I'm not sure that um, every senator in the Senate is going to want to uh, be perceived as getting rid of stuff that, you know, really did increase the amount of money that banks hold to deal with shocks that created a strong Consumer Protection Bureau and if that's true, then um, there may need to be some compromise in any sort of financial legislation that gets put forward in the next uh, in the next uh, term of Congress. Michael, David mentioned community banking and, and regional banking, and I'd be interested to get your opinion on, on the impact that uh, that some of these smaller banks have felt uh, in the wake of this. And, and obviously, for some of these banks, they they're they're playing on a bit of a shortened field compared to uh, you know the the massive entities that are in this industry right now. Yeah, I think that one of the strengths of the U.S. financial system is the diversity of the types and sizes and approaches um, of different uh, banks and thrifts and credit unions around the country. So I think that uh, it's important to have a vibrant community banking market, vibrant um, market for smaller firms, uh, and for regional mid-sized firms as well. Uh, the Dodd-Frank Act has in it um, uh, provisions that uh, gradually increase the stringency of regulation as firms get, uh, get larger, um, and I think that's appropriate. I think there for sure could be adjustments always that help protect community banks from the the risks and costs of additional regulation. Right. I think the regulators could do a better job uh, with kind of plain language exemptions when rules basically don't apply to community banks. Sometimes community banks spend a lot of effort um, uh, uh, trying to figure out the fact that the rule actually doesn't apply to them. Right. Um, and I think there's room um, on areas beyond Dodd-Frank to uh, for community bank relief. I think that um, 
uh, for example, right now our anti-money laundering rules are quite burdensome and not especially great at catching bad guys. Uh, and I think we could do a better job um, getting the balance right on that. So uh, I think there's lots of room for community bank um, improvements. Uh, the area that I'm worried about is that under the guise of um, community bank relief, a Congress will then put forward a set of reforms that are not about that at all, uh, that are about protecting larger institutions, that are about undoing the reforms of uh, stress testing and capital rules, mm -hmm. uh, that are about uh, undoing the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And uh, so there's this really, I think, quite uh, serious risk that uh, while pretending to do community bank reform, uh, what the Republicans in Congress will do instead is, uh, is undermine uh, all of the efforts that have made the financial system safer and fairer in the last five years. And what do you think is the future uh, of the CFPB under, under President Trump? Well, uh, I think in part that's up to us. It's up to you. It's up to your listeners. It's up right. to the public. Um, I think that you know, if we as consumers and households want to have a strong CFPB that's looking out for our interests, we want an agency that has tough enforcement of the law, if we want an agency that can, you know, ferret out bad actors and prevent abuses like in the Wells Fargo case, if that's what we want, um, we're going to have to fight for it. What do you think is the... the uh, I let me switch gears for a second, because uh, you talked about stress tests earlier. And I think for the most part, I think most people would agree that making sure that these banks are secure enough so we don't go through another uh, another 2007, 2008, that ends up being a very important piece of this puzzle. And the stress tests are part of that are part of that process. That's exactly right. And I think that, you know, stress testing is important not only for, you know, the top couple of firms in the country, uh, but also for all major firms and, and regional firms. Uh, we need to know um, what's going to happen, uh, and they need to have a better way of predicting risks um, in their own system, um, because, you know, lots of times what happens in a financial crisis is that many firms are pursuing the same strategies at once and getting in trouble for the same sets of reasons. Uh, you know, I talked to a um, uh, community bankers uh, all the time, and a, a number of them have said to me, you know, one of the best things that's happened is I'm actually going through and doing a better job of my own risk analytics because of stress testing required for larger firms. David, I wanted to get your opinion on the success of, uh, of stress testing the banks over the last couple of years. Um, I think it's been a salutary addition to the sort of toolkit that regulators use when they're overseeing financial institutions. <clears throat> so in the old model, what you did is you uh, identified an amount of capital that banks would have to hold, and you sort of tried to make sure that they'd hold it um, uh, and hold it against a risk weighting of their assets. And in the wake of the financial crisis, a few other sort of ratios of um, assets to capital have been introduced to make sure that banks aren't gaming the system. And I think of stress testing as a sort of uh, um, uh, the vehicle for which the most serious inquiry into the financial stability of banks can be, you know, vindicated or looked into, um, because basically it, it is designed to take a 
a bad economy or bad news or a shock to the system of a bank, uh, maybe a rogue trader or um, the variety of stress test scenarios out there are pretty large and apply it to um, every, every financial institution above a certain size. And um, that is, you know, the best way of figuring out whether if there's a crisis, will the institution be likely to weather it? Um, uh, and so in that sense, I think it's been, a, you know, a regulatory innovation right. that um, had a good effect and it's been adopted all over the world as well as in the United States. Gentlemen, I greatly appreciate your time today. Thank you, David. Thank you, Michael. All the My best. My pleasure. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. David Zaring, uh, Associate uh, Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here from the Wharton School, and also Michael Barr, uh, Professor at the University of Michigan in their law school. As we mentioned, one of the architects of Dodd-Frank uh, several years ago. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.